Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. We are delighted to share a presentation from the Patients as Partners Europe Conference on Patient Involvement in Medicine Development, How Partnering with Medical Research Charities is Key. This presentation was given by Claire Nolan, Research Involvement Manager, representing Parkinson's UK, and Chris McDonald, Research Involvement Manager, representing Arthritis Research UK. Please note that the upcoming Patients as Partners Europe event is taking place January 28th and 29th at the Millennium Gloucester Hotel in London. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for coming back following the bell. That was a very impressive bell I found, actually, the lady who carried that huge thing. You know, I work in Switzerland, and in Switzerland, we also have these huge bells. You know, some animals carry them around their necks, and when they do like this, the whole room will be totally awake. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, welcome back. I'm particularly looking forward to this session, because as you can see, um, we have Claire and Chris, um, both from um, Parkinson's UK and Arthritis Research UK, and they're going to talk to us about partnering with uh, research charities. I think that can be something we can all learn from. And I look forward to hearing both of you, or are you going to present so Ah, okay, here are both. I, uh, it's not working today. <laughs> Welcome to both of you, and uh, we look forward to your talk. Thank you very much for that introduction, Tony. Hello, everyone. Um, so Chris and I are here to talk to you about patient involvement in medicines development, how partnering with medical research charities is key. Now, like many of you probably, um, I was at the Patients as Partners Europe conference last year. Um, and really that was the start of both my journey and Parkinson's UK's journey to understanding how and how we should be working more um, and supporting the pharmaceutical industry to involve people affected by Parkinson's um, in, the, in medicines development. Um, so basically, uh, I think that what Chris and I would like to get from the talk today is to reintroduce medical research charities to you, really, as not just, not just passive recipients in your journeys to become more patient-focused as organisations, but really as active partners um, in supporting you to involve people affected by health conditions in your programme. So I'm very privileged um, and happy to be here sharing the stage with Chris. Thanks, Claire. Um, so... I've never been happier about having my um, presentation toes stepped on by the people who have come previously to us. So actually a lot of what we've put in these slides today, um, I'm really pleased to hear that actually loads of you have already commented on and gone over in really eloquently in a lot of detail. So what we'll try not to do is overlap too much. We maybe reinforce some of those things from a medical research perspective. Um, but we'll kind of go into some of the detail early on about uh, indicating the journey of medical research charities um, away from being actually um, groups that were very much centred on supporting researchers to do uh, their, their work, to being much more patient-centric organisations and how we've done that through involving and engaging with people with conditions in those contexts. Um, we want to indicate to you, um, reinforce those benefits of patient involvement, the, the, kind of the benefits that you've already articulated are very much uh, the benefits that we see in patient involvement and that's why we do it so uh, comprehensively in our work. 
Uh, Claire will touch on the change of attitudes towards collaboration between medical research charities and pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I think there can be a misconception or preconception that the communities, our communities and the, our patient communities, um, are a bit standoffish when it comes to this. And we really think there's a change in this kind of the new music of this re relationship. I won't dwell too much on this because loads of people again have said this, but we'll touch on the principles, not the principalities, the principles and practicalities of, of delivering um, research involvement deeply and integrated into public uh, into the research delivery of our charities, and then we'll also end on some um, uh, examples of good collaborations that are already going on between the two groups. So in my experience over the last sort of 14, 15 months of looking at uh, working with pharmaceutical companies, uh, I've come to learn that in the pharma world we are known as patient organisations, we're known as patient groups, advocacy groups, um, and uh, we, we, or sometimes there's no distinction made between us and patients themselves, although that is getting better. <laughs> Um, so we are patient organisations, but we're also medical research charities. And I just wanted to spend a little bit of time giving some insight to the kind of contribution that medical research charities are making to health research here in the UK. So I borrowed some figures from our colleagues at the Association of Medical Research Charities. And basically, in 2016, 1.6 billion of research funding in the UK was invested by medical research charities. To put that into context... That's about 45% of all publicly funded medical research nationally, and that's actually up from 33% in the year or two before that. In terms of people, uh, over 170,000 people were recruited just into charity-funded trials in 2016. And for me, those numbers speak volumes about the kind of contribution that medical research charities are making. Um, Chris, I don't know if you want to say anything here. No, that I agree. <laughs> I would like to say that organisations like Parkinson's UK and Arthritis Research UK, we've got a duty to our patient communities. And we've got a, a moral duty, but also a financial duty as well. And we, that 1.6 billion that I mentioned, that has been raised by people affected by health conditions. People affected by health conditions who want to see research into their conditions, who want to see progress made. We have a duty to make sure that, that one, every pound of that 1.6 billion pounds is spent wisely, which means that we have some experience of making effective and economic research funding decisions that, dare I I say might not be unlike uh, some of the decisions that um, pharma companies have to make to satisfy their shareholders. We're making those kind of decisions yep. to satisfy our stakeholders, which is our patients. Now, thinking about more organisationally and thinking about the journey towards being more patient-centric, I really think that there is a, an assumption that patient organisations... Um, are truly, truly patient-focused, patient-centric, and we're doing everything right when it comes to the way we work with patient populations. And I think that's not always the case, actually. Um, I, I would say I would actually compare us to pharmaceutical companies or the pharmaceutical industry as a whole, where we're all learning, we're on a spectrum of learning how we best work with our patient populations. And for Parkinson's UK, that was a lesson that we learned personally as an organisation about eight years ago, because, and I know some of you in the room will have heard this uh, before, but uh, we went through a rebrand uh, about eight years ago. We used to be the Parkinson's Disease Society. And as part of the rebrand, we decided to go out to our supporters, our members, our patient community, and ask them what they thought of us. And the results were not what we were expecting. What we found out was that we needed to be much more representative, that we weren't empowering our patient community in the right way, and that we weren't investing enough in research. 
So the steps that we took to rectify this changed everything about the way we work with people affected by Parkinson's and also everything about the way we work as an organisation. So we changed our board of trustees from predominantly medical professionals to a range of people affected by Parkinson's. We introduced a user involvement team and we employed people with Parkinson's to work as part of that team with each department across the organisation to uh, improve the way we were working with people affected by Parkinson's. Our recruitment, our uh, staff inductions, our staff training now had a strong user involvement focus and were done in partnership with people affected by Parkinson's. And um, we also, in the research team, we started to write our research strategy in partnership with people affected by Parkinson's. They became part of the decision-making process. Um, So really, we were able to... um, work with our patients, learn how to work with our patients in a different way and it transformed our research um, programme into something that was one dimensional beforehand but really something that became innovative and completely collaborative in nature and now we're reaping the rewards as an organisation. Yeah, and I'd just like to kind of <clears throat> reinforce that kind of irony that a medical research charity is assumed to be as patient-centric as you can get, when actually it really isn't. 10 or 15 years ago, well, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, Arthritis Research UK, un- under another name at the time, was very much about supporting researchers, and it was assumed that they were doing things for the best on behalf of patients, and there was this assumption that there will be increase in quality of life as a result of funding these research careers. And we can no longer, t- longer take that assumption, no can we have to ask people with arthritis to tell us what are their unmet needs and then we strategize our research around that so we've gone from a place of not doing it at all to a place of putting people with arthritis at the heart of all our decision making processes and this really came into place when we brought in um, at the time was probably by today's metrics is probably tokenistic but about 10 years ago we brought in a, a panel that was entirely made of musculoskeletal patients or people who had some um, some understanding of uh, musculoskeletal conditions as a carer or as a perhaps a parent and they really set us on course towards this new strategy the new arthritis research uk through various strategy rebrands and various other things to be the charity that we are today in which all of our decision making processes so not just in our research but as a charity within our policy within our communications and the things we do as a charity more widely are um, governed by the insight of people with arthritis so everything that we're doing is comprehensive and it's kind of it all weaves in together as well so we've come so both of us have come very far in a short space of time but this plays out across the kind of sector of medical research charities. These are just some of the kind of uh, medical research charities that sit underneath the Association of Medical Research Charities. Um, And they've all been on this journey too. And there's a great deal and and, uh, there's a great deal of breadth and detail of understanding of this patient journey, of of this journey towards patient centricity. And all these people, all these associations have become much more patient centric as a result of 10 to 15 years worth of development understanding. There's a great breadth here. So there's people working Cancer Research UK at £600 million a year to smaller charities and working from various condition to condition. So there's lots of interesting um, breadth of understanding of how, how um, to be more patient-centric in the way that you're working. So, um, I mean, a number of us, a number of us in the, uh, of you presenting today have already uh, touched upon, uh, Tony and Nicholas and uh, me have already, have already touched upon the fact there's quite a lot of fragmentation within the pharmaceutical industry, that there's, um, even, between, even in the same organisation, there can be pockets of good practice and pockets of really kind of mediocre, tokenistic work. Um, 
and then you can compare different organisations for every, you know, maybe UCB who've gone through a big change in the way they um, work. There are other pharmaceutical companies who are still resting on their laurels and working in different ways. What, what we don't have in the medical research community, which is really great, is that we don't have that fragmentation when it comes to public and patient involvement and the integration of meaningful public and, in, uh, and, public and patient involvement in our research decision-making. And this comes because we are just very, very collaborative. We openly share all of our resources, our understanding and our best practice to ensure that we have principles and practices that underpin everything that we do. A lot of this also comes from the Shared Learning Group on Involvement. So all of these um, medical research charities listed here, as well as the Association of Medical Research Charities as a regulator, as well as Involve, which is the National Advisory Group for the National Institute of Health Research, come together and share our best practice. And as a result... Everything that we do in terms of involvement and that integration within our research decision-making is, uh, is consistent and is clear. So no matter who you go to, you will always get the same approach to the involvement that we do. So I think over the next few slides, Chris and I just wanted to kind of showcase some of the tools and resources that we as patient organisations have developed over the years of, of us working with patients as part of our own research programmes and supporting the research community to work with um, people affected by health conditions. So I'll start with Parkinson's UK. And we started working with people affected by Parkinson's about seven years ago um, in trying to develop tools and support for people affected by Parkinson's and researchers to come together and work in partnership. Um, and that started with our research support network, which is quite a unique tool, resource. Um, it's uh, an online network for anyone who is interested in Parkinson's research. All you need is an email address to join. Um, when I joined Parkinson's UK over four years ago, um, the research support network was about 600 people, and now it's almost 4,000 people. And um, just by some uh, work we've done in surveys and so forth, um, we know that about 90% of people um, who are members of the research support network are people with Parkinson's and they are an incredibly engaged group of individuals and examples of the kind of work that we've done with the research support network is we've really done some explorations um, to, in patient attitudes towards certain things. Um, we did a little bit of work about patient attitudes towards stem cell therapy. Um, we sent a survey out to our research support network and within a few days um, about 545 people I think it was responded um, with information about their attitudes towards stem cell therapy, looking at some of the ethics around stem cell therapy, minimum benefit risk, and Tony was talking about that earlier, um, in stem cell therapy, and information about wh um, whether they would consider taking part in a stem cell therapy clinical trial. We also did some work on looking at attitudes towards sham surgery, which was really interesting for us because we had um, part-funded a clinical trial with a control sham surgery arm. Um, and uh, more recently, we've done some work in looking at attitudes of people affected by Parkinson's towards the pharmaceutical industry, which I'll touch on uh, a little bit later. Um, now, we developed the research support network, but we wanted to do something a little more in-depth as well, specifically supporting people affected by Parkinson's to work in partnership with researchers. The research support network is a wonderful consultation, consultation tool, um, but we wanted to support that partnership working. And so we developed our patient and public involvement program. We invited over 100 people affected by Parkinson's to join us to go through a research induction program where we looked at how Parkinson's research is done, how research studies are built, um, what the pathway 
way to new treatments are and some looking at some real um, practical working examples of how researchers and people affected by Parkinson's can work together. Now through that programme we've supported over 120 research teams to work with people affected by Parkinson's and uh, over the last few months we've been looking uh, and I'm, I'm really happy to say that we're extending that kind of support to pharmaceutical companies as well um, to work with, uh, with this population. As a result of the success of this program, we also developed our Research Involvement Award, which is basically um, where the team at Parkinson's UK give more hands-on um, support in the organisation and facilitation of those kind of patient advisory boards, um, discussion groups, focus groups. Um, and, yeah, again, that's, that's now available to pharmaceutical companies with an interest in working with people affected by Parkinson's. Now, Cancer Research UK have also invested very heavily in ensuring that the research community can work with people affected by cancer. They have a, a, a network, involvement network of over 900 people um, who work with them to, um, to, to, on their research priorities as an organisation, but also are available to work with the research community as well. They have also um, invested and developed something called the uh, Patient Public Involvement Toolkit, which is an online toolkit for any researchers with an interest in, um, in working with people affected by cancer. Um, and they have uh, developed this toolkit uh, in, to help researchers with the planning and conducting and evaluation of patient and public involvement. Um, and as part of that toolkit, there is guidance, there are case studies, and there are things like um, template role descriptions for, to use if you're going to be working with um, people affected by cancer. It's a, an incredibly um, enviable tool. <laughs> Parkinson's so UK are very, it's, yeah, it's, it's really comprehensive. comprehensive. And it's just such a brilliant way of ensuring that the whole research community who has access to this tool can really um, think about planning a meaningful involvement in working with people affected by cancer. So that's an interesting model in Cancer Research UK really put a lot of investment into their community and it's not that we don't do this but when we started doing public and patient involvement as meaningfully as we possibly could three or four years ago we really invested time in, our, in the people so the people with, uh, with arthritis and affected by musculoskeletal conditions so what we did is we created this group called our Patient Insight Partners and I think this is touching upon that partnership we didn't want to kind of, they're not they're not patients that we go to and kind of take their information and then use it to our own ends. We simply get them in and support them to do so and then they tell us what they do, what they need, and they tell us how to change things. So our patient insight partners are, 45, uh, are currently 45 members who are recruited. They're supported and given guidance in how to, um, in, in, order, in order to um, work mainly currently in, internally within the charity. So this can be from setting our research priorities to training researchers on how to do public and patient involvement more effectively in their own work. Um, but a lot of their work is in internally assessing the research applications we receive at the charity, making sure that they're relevant, they have potential patient benefit, and they have good public and patient involvement. So they're deeply integral to our internal processes, Arthritis Research UK. This group actually now works a little bit externally with the research community as well, but more what we decided to do is actually we were really blessed at Arthritis Research UK in that the 
patient community and the musculoskeletal research community had a great deal of really engaged research user groups. So those are groups that are, um, that are based in our centres of excellence, of which we have 13 spread throughout the UK, experimental arthritis treatment centres, experimental osteoarthritis treatment centres, and they all have their own kind of um, patient insight partners, essentially, at these groups. So what we wanted to do was support these groups to help those researchers gain insights into what they were, wor- what they were working on to make sure that what they were doing was as accessible, as sensitive and as relevant to the patient communities we possibly could make it. We've also now merged with Arthritis Care. Arthritis Care has tens of thousands of members that we didn't have as Arthritis Research UK alone. So now we've got this amazing opportunity for all these people who are really engaged with, them, with, their, with um, the charity as a merged charity, um, but are really interested in the opportunity to shape and steer research. And so there's all these people that, and all these really influential and activated people in the community that want to go out and um, help support research research in any context, whether it be in research that we fund or by pharmaceutical industry, to help them to make sure that, we have, um, re- that they have rele- relevant treatments and therapies in the future. It would be completely remiss of us if we didn't talk about Alzheimer's Society and their research network if we're talking about good practice in public and patient involvement within medical research charities. So um, they set up the research network, I think, in 1999. Uh, They now have over 200 um, carers, ex-carers, people affected by dementia and Alzheimer's uh, in this group that they recruit and they train and support to be able to be involved in all these different stages of the research cycle. So they mainly started in setting the research agenda. So um, Alzheimer's Society were good in that um, they started off at the place that they could be most effective right at the beginning of any research decision. So they set the agenda and um, defined the unmet needs of people with uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. And over the past five years, Matt Murray and the team at Alzheimer's Society have really gone, uh, have really gone and worked really hard to fill in these other gaps around the research cycle. So they're now involved in helping the research community design their research protocols and their studies and defining the outcomes that they reach. Des- um, actually deciding, like we do at Alz- uh, um, Arthritis Research UK, deciding on which research is funded and then filling in di- different places around the cycle on shaping and monitoring ongoing research this be- being funded, disseminating, and then putting research into practice as well. It's a really comprehensive approach. And this approach is actually something that's adopted by most medical research charities now. This is the kind of the, the, base, the base model for which we all integrate our public and patient uh, involvement as, uh, as, in, as meaningfully as possible. Just to echo what Chris just said there, um, when I joined Parkinson's UK in, uh, in 2013, I looked at what the Alzheimer's Society are doing and I said, we want to do that. And so you're absolutely right in saying that most of our programmes are based on what organisations like the Alzheimer's Society do. And the only reason we're able to do that is because of, again, exactly what Chris said, that uh, sharing of information, sharing of best practice, sharing of experience. So I'm actually not going to um, spend too much time labouring these points because we've talked quite a lot about the benefits of patient and public involvement, but I just wanted to um, touch on the fact that as an organisation, as Parkinson's UK, um, changing the way that we work with our patient community has revolutionised our relationships with our people affected by Parkinson's uh, in the way that we can better understand and support them. But also to say that it's really established us as leaders, and the reason I'm saying that is because... 
When, I was thinking, when Chris and I were thinking about the benefits of patient public involvement in pharma, and thank you to those of you in the room who have contributed to these slides, but um, we, we were su surprised and, and struck by the fact that actually those benefits are the same. Those benefits really are the same. So if, it seems to me as though we, we are trying to achieve the same things. We want the same things, and the benefits for our organisations match each other's. And so for me, the point of really this slide is to say that we should be working together as much as possible. So to recap, to recap, how do I recap? I'll recap like this. So um, medical re just to reinforce Claire's point that medical research charities, pharmaceutical companies actually have a very shared approach towards delivering research. There's a lot of common denominators, but actually um, we as medical research charities have been doing 10, 15, sometimes 20 years worth of um, public and patient involvement integrating into those very same research um, procedures. So it's just something to recap there. The benefits... Are, uh, are obvious to us and they should be obvious to you and despite our differences within the medical research community we, we deliver considered and consistent approaches because we share and we develop together as a, as a group again like I said before these things have been touched upon more eloquently than I can articulate I think these things around feedback and practices are huge to be able to feedback manage expectations and be empathetic to the people that you integrate and involve in the work that you're doing is just something that you've already articulated so this was really heartening to have this slide blown out the water um, what we wanted to end on is some case studies around how we've meaningfully worked with and collaborated with pharmaceutical industry uh, and, our, and uh, medical research charities. So what I'm going to do is talk about one of uh, our own, uh, Arthritis Research UK, and then I'll talk about um, some Asthma UK examples of working. So um, we work with a pharma company on a phase four randomised control trial, so RCT, benchmarking a new therapy against the current therapy that was in place. We work with the pharma company to make sure that all the information was accessible, they had everything that they needed to make a full and informed um, uh, um, review and uh, evaluation of, the, uh, of the, uh, the, the trial that was going on. We changed some of the language within emails. We worked with a farm company to be able to um, get access to certain documentation that was, wasn't going to be allowed to them, but we got. Um, all the um, patient information sheets the, um, made sense of the methodology so people with arthritis could actually understand what it was that was going on and put it into their language so they could review and help us understand where the barriers are, where the issues are with the, with the trial itself. Um, so we were very hard with the, with the um, kind of working with the um, pharmaceuticals company itself. And then we worked with our patient insight partners to make sure that they were formed, um, comfortable and confident about actually approaching this, uh, this work as well. So what we did is that we, um, we brought a focus group together, we brought our patient insight partners together as well as the farm company and our patient insight partners tore the trial apart. So they basically um, said that the consent forms were articulated in a fashion that was, um, that was inaccessible, uh, the um, methodology was uh, inaccessible and that people would not be retained within the trial as a result of it and they questioned whether people would actually be, even be recruited in the first place. 
So as a result from the impact of what actually came from this, even though it was, a, it was constructively critical, we always want our patient inside partners to be constructively critical in, what, in their approach. We welcome this honour. I think the, um, the company that worked with us in the end actually um, um, took it on the chin very nicely and used all of this information to help inform what they were doing. So it, the impact um, was on multiple different levels. So simply the methodology around uh, changing how many... So I think they were asked to do 11... I think 11 questionnaires when they came in, when they were on the trial. For every two weeks, they came in and did 11 questionnaires on various quality of life outcomes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So... I think they were told unequivocally that 11 was too much. It would take them two to three hours. So they, they arranged which were the most important to them and which were most important to the study, and then they came up with a certain number of questionnaires that were effective. Um, they also kind of came to, into things around um, what was, for example, the, there was an, a really nice example in terms of the articulation of some of the information. So it kept on repeatedly say, saying that the patient had failed, uh, failed on the drug. And one of our patient insight partners put their hand up and said, the drugs failed me. Um, And that was a brilliant moment in which we, our preconceptions around how we articulate the things that we're doing was just kind of, kind of just blown out of the water. And we realized that actually there was no, the, the things that we were saying to people who had spent most of their lives in pain and fatigue as a result of the musculoskeletal conditions who had had their therapies revised time and time again and had been told that it's their fault constantly were being told again that they had failed on another drug was not, was not conducive to uh, retention with on the trial. So as a result they changed all the information and how they had articulated the trial results of it. I think as well the pharmaceutical company took a, took a lot from the learnings away from this and they've started to work this into their best practice processes and we're having ongoing conversations around how they scale this further throughout their work within Europe, which is really interesting. Asthma UK have worked a lot with um, pharmaceutical industries, and again, if we weren't, if we didn't talk about them, we would, we would be um, we'd be doing them a disservice. So they've worked at levels at the patient engagement boards. They've taken members of their networks um, to pharmaceutical um, engagement um, boards, where they've actually um, been involved in um, address uh, uh, defining unmet need and strategies of the of the company itself. Uh, they've helped design the health information materials that have been uh, they've complemented the therapies that have gone for asthma sufferers. Uh, they've helped. They've gone into the details. So they've done things around developing participant information sheets, consent forms, and the actual design of the trial. So very similar to the uh, example that we gave at the charity. And they've reviewed the uh, the advertising of the clinical trial and how accessible and sensitive the language is in order to get people actually into the trial in the first place as well. So they've really comprehensively done it with a number of pharmaceutical companies. So Asthma UK is a really great example of a charity that's really open to collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry. So um, when we were discussing with uh, Jennifer um, what kind of things we would touch on during the presentation, one of the things that we talked about was um, attitudes, patient organisation attitudes and patient attitudes towards working with pharmaceutical companies. Um, is, it, is it a problem? Do patients want to work with pharmaceutical companies? Do patient organisations want to work with pharmaceutical companies? And I just thought that this might be good to, to touch on that point um, and discuss that point a little bit further. So um, earlier on I, I told you that we'd asked our 
research support network about their attitudes towards the pharmaceutical industry. And as part of um, the survey that we asked them to fill in, um, we asked them to uh, tell us what words they would use to describe pharmaceutical companies if they felt that pharmaceutical companies understood the needs of people affected by Parkinson's. But we also asked them, would you like the opportunity to share your views and experiences with pharmaceutical companies to help them develop new treatments for Parkinson's? And as you can see, most of them said yes. In fact, only 6% of them said no. So I think maybe is quite a powerful thing as well. Um, they, they don't know. Pharmaceutical companies uh, need to be more transparent. And we as patient organisations need to do our part yeah. in opening up, uh, opening people's attitudes towards pharmaceutical companies. But I think 60% is uh, quite a significant figure. They want to work with you. We also asked them if they would like Parkinson's UK to work with pharmaceutical companies to help them develop new treatments for Parkinson's. And um, as you can see, overwhelmingly, over 90% of them said that they do want us to work with you. Now, about 500 people filled in this survey, and while 500 people might not be a mandate, it certainly is. Um, it does give us an idea of, of pe people affected by Parkinson's attitudes towards pharmaceutical companies. And we definitely see that as, as support for our programme in how we're developing our program to support pharmaceutical companies. And this is probably um, echoed in the work that we do with people affected by Parkinson's. So I work with an involvement steering group who are basically my team's management committee. And we take everything to them. And, and this is really echoed in everything that they're saying. They're completely supportive of Parkinson's UK. Working with and supporting pharma companies who are interested in Parkinson's to work in partnership with people affected by Parkinson's. So really just to touch yeah. on that point as well. Yeah, and, and, and I certainly didn't struggle to find anyone who, was, who didn't want to be on that focus group working with the pharma company in our example as well and patient inside partners were very supportive of that so um, take home messages so uh, in light of the things that kind of we said I think what we wanted to emphasize was the fact that we have a lot of commonalities medical research charities pharmaceutical companies um, we need to deliver effective research outcomes essentially um, but what we want to do is emphasize the fact that we are really supportive um, and our patient community is really supportive of you doing um, of you doing more more and doing more public and patient involvement but what we don't want to do is to wait for you like we took you know we took five ten years as medical research charities to pull our ppi socks up and to get going what we don't want to do is wait for you that long for you guys to do it as well so we're here we're here to be able to like learn from and to take all these learnings that in the, in the same context as you delivering research can be used in your context as well. We are happy to help. Our research community is really happy for us to help you if you need it. And we're happy to collaborate in the future as well. We would really like to thank you for uh, the invite today and for your, your listening. And we'd love to take any questions as well. Thank you very much. Very well done. You know, to start with a comment, what really I'm taking home is we share knowledge, we share insights, and we share resources. Wouldn't that be a nice thing if we came back as industry to think about what is pre, i.e. non-competitive, and what we can share? By the way, one of the founding principles of PFMD what can we share, and what can we share together so that the system gets better? That was very powerful. Let's open it. Ooh, okay. We'll, we'll manage it carefully, but you can see this was a really good talk. I have no idea who was first. Maybe you start. Thank you.
Thank you. Um, thank you very much both. That was very interesting and insightful. Um, I'm Alison Lawrence. I work for Otsuka Pharmaceuticals. And my question is that is based on an assumption that your research programme, similar to the other organisations that you flagged, cover more than just medicines and drugs and also include perhaps devices or surgical interventions. And I just wonder what experiences you have from that research sector in terms of patient and public involvement that we could learn from a medicines perspective. So um, in terms of devices, um, apps and, and gadgets, that's something that's not my, um, my team in particular, but I know that that's something that we've, uh, we're doing a lot to, um, to develop at the moment. So I think we've just developed a, um, a group of people affected by Parkinson's who can help us decide which... Uh, devices, apps and gadgets we, we support um, and so I'm, I'm not sure of the exact details of that but I would be really happy to share my colleagues' contact details with you. It's very, very new um, it's really just just started um, but we've, we've employed a person with Parkinson's um, to, to be the person who, who jointly leads on that programme with us as well so I would be really happy to share their, their contact details with you. Yeah and we found in devices and surgery that actually because it's because it's a product, because it's a thing, they're much more savvy around being user centres. So essentially, public patient involvement is what they're doing. Um, so they have, the, so they have these rules and structures of being user centric because they're, pro, they're they're developing product that will be used by someone, and as such, they they have these. They are much better at um, understanding the principles of involvement much um, um, quicker. So we can actually we've consulted and worked with a lot of um, surgeons and app developers with. Within, a lot within fatigue and pain and self-management and things like that to make sure that they've um, done meaningful involvement but it was a very it's always a pleasure to work with them because they always kind of know exactly what you mean thank you hi tom gagney with envision pharma group just a quick question uh kind of related to the other um because this is focusing on an audience that's largely pharmaceutical i'm just wondering what your experience is with uh working with academia or government trials are you finding the same level of interest or are you driving that and pushing uh, the envelope is there some resistance i was just wondering if you could speak briefly to that so we, so uh, Arthritis Research UK, we fund uh, a great deal, as many medical research charities will do, in the basic end. So in, in, underpinning an etiology, we normally call it, around basic research in medical, in, in medical health. Um, that is a challenge in changing the research communities, um, old paradigm structures, even our own internal structures around review, peer review, how we integrate meaningful involvement in amongst all of those rigid structures of peer review that are put rightly in place by regulators. It is a struggle. It is not a struggle. It's a challenge. It's a good thing that we should be challenged against this because we challenge back and we change the processes and procedures. We work with the Association of Medical Research Charities to make sure that the way that they approach it is more open-minded to actually integrating meaningful involvement and they have stronger guidance around how they do so and you can do it more meaningfully as well. It's not easy when there's hundreds, literally hundreds of years worth of structures and processes put in place to support researchers to review and evaluate and you, 
it's technically excellent and you tick it off and they go and do their thing. When you challenge that, it's going to take a bit of time, but I really think the mood music is changing within medical research charities and within, and this is very much led by the NIHR as well, I must emphasise that, that the NIHR are very much led in terms of public and patient involvement and medical research charities are now really getting their act together to be just a really small step just behind NIHR nowadays yeah. as well. We're very lucky here in the UK that the National Institute for Health Research uh, have really been uh, the pioneers of, of, of pushing and developing patient and public involvement and we work very closely with them and actually I think we'll hear from Paula from Involve who uh, support involvement throughout the NIHR uh, either later today or tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I actually have two questions. So the first one was on the clinical trial in how far you were able to drive actually a clinical trial rather than just to repackage an existing concept that is brought to you by a farmer. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it's like whether you have 11 forms or five in the end, it doesn't matter, it doesn't change the design of the trial. Yep. And whether you now print it in Arial 12P or 10P in the end, it doesn't change anything about the comparator either. Yep. So there have been charities all here in the UK, for example, Myeloma UK, who has basically dictated what the trial is going to be like. So that from my Christian perspective, so that would be my first question. How much are you the drivers of the trial and how much are you just repackaging? And the second question is, like, I'm a researcher by background. What I find really very difficult in terms of patient involvement in the area is you can people ask people what do you want and you can turn this into research priorities, but research is more than that. If you come then to selecting research projects and surveying research projects, you need quite a bit of technical detail in order to be able to judge, is this patient-centric, yes or no? Unfortunately, I learned that the hard way, because I thought I knew as a researcher. To give you a very concrete example, I mean, everyone who writes a research proposal, at the end, we're always saving humanity, always. <laughs> so anything that is submitted is always overselling, at least the last bit, sure. but that's one thing. But for example, selection of model system, how relevant is a zebrafish to arthritis? or Parkinson. Yeah. So there is something thing that we as patients are not properly involved in. Follow up on research projects. We're part of a Horizon 2020 grant. I mean, researchers have own motivation. It's about publications, next funding round, and that's not patient-centric either. Mm -hmm. So how do you ensure that these bits, which are the painful ones in your communities, are really in your patient's interest? If you could answer Sorry. rather quickly, <laughs> that would be good. And then I think we can allow only one more question. If uh, Nicolai, I think you were next. And if I can invite you to just ask a question in the break afterwards, then I think we give everybody justice. So a concise answer, if possible, please. So it's a really easy one to give a really concise answer to. Uh, so I'll tackle the second one. And, uh, I'll tackle the first one. Okay. That's fine. So... We don't, this isn't about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to burn down the old structures of peer review because it's, it's, a, it's a, an appropriate and iterative process that has led to research excellence. What we want to do is supplement it with additional information that is necessary as stakeholders of people with arthritis to inform the researchers so they are having a more informed, holistic approach to when they decide what is funded. And the people with arthritis are more informed because they're informed on the technicalities. And they understand why a zebrafish is a good model in arthritis, for example. So as a result, they're both more informed and they can come to a mutually valuable answer rather than making decisions separately and then for just putting heads. 
In answer to the first question, there's a couple of pharma companies that we are just about to embark on some work with. Uh, the first one um, is coming to us uh, with uh, uh, something that's already packaged. And what I would say is, uh, well, what I would say is baby steps. And we learned through working with the research community, academic research community, that baby steps is okay because if we can introduce them and they can see the benefits of working with us and with people affected by Parkinson's, then perhaps the next time um, they will come to us earlier and we can stress that, you know, just through positive reinforcement, I think we're hoping to encourage them. The second one is really incredibly exciting for us because we're going to be working with a pharmaceutical company where uh, they are interested in Parkinson's, but we are going to be working with their drug discovery team and we're going to be working with their clinical trials team. And we don't know what that partnership is going to look like because there isn't, an, there isn't something that we're looking to do. Specifically, what we want them to do is develop a relationship with a group of people affected by Parkinson's who they can come back to, who they can share information with and create and I, um, and I'm sure a lot of you will understand, and you've said it already today that, sorry, I know you said to answer really quickly, but, <laughs> but the best involvement comes from relationship building. It comes, it might start off with just engagement, where a researcher is telling the patient community or people affected by Parkinson's or arthritis about their research. Then as that relationship develops, people affected by Parkinson's start to ask questions back to the researcher, and then that starts to make the researcher think differently about the way their research is done. And so in the second pharma company that will be working working with, we're really looking to do that and, and to explore what will happen and be able to capture that and hopefully we'll be back next year presenting about what happened there. So. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Very quick one. Uh, very quick actually. Yeah. Both organisations are part of European sister organisations, um, EULA yep. in your case and, and in your case Claire of course the European, European Parkinson's Parkinson. Disease Association. I'm curious probably from where I'm sitting in Brussels with EPF, how far you're able to collaborate with sister organisations getting across the same energy, the same enthusiasm, the same messages, but also changing practice. So, again, we're really lucky with ULA in that they've had their um, PARE group for a long time now, um, and they've actually led the way, as many of our research community kind of led us as an irony for a long time in, medical, in terms of the research community leading the medical research char charity in terms of public and patient involvement. And as such, we work with uh, PARE and, uh, and ULA whenever we can, and we're actually quite strategically aligned. I think we're trying to challenge them a bit more about how they get into the more basic uh, treatment development kind of area of the research that they fund rather than the care delivery end but that's that's a good thing that's an iteration and an evolution of a process that's a that's those are baby steps and just in terms of the European Parkinson's Disease Association, I think we are very aligned. We have a great relationship with them. We talk all the time. Um, we, in terms of the patient public involvement programme, we support um, the, uh, them to be able to send people affected by Parkinson's to things like uh, the EMA, for example. We've just supported um, recruitment to, their, to the uh, EPDA's multidisciplinary review panel. So we do have a relationship with them. They do support our work. But, uh, and I don't know if it's the same as Arthritis Research UK, but we're in in a really fortunate position where we're probably one of the biggest charities that um, European um, Parkinson's Disease Association work with um, and so we have, uh, in fact we have the resources to support them I suppose uh, as well. Um, the other thing to say is I just did some, I'm sorry Tony I just did <laughs> some work because the Norwegian government have made it mandatory for um, people, uh, for researchers to work with people affected by health conditions in Norway and I was invited out to Norway recently in November um, to talk to them about how we've developed our support for research community 
opportunity to work in partnership and, and actually I got talking to the Norwegian Parkinson's Association and through that just had an idea that actually we could be doing more um, to collectively pool our patients um, so that, that in more internationally we can support international clinical trials and also to say that we have a really great relationship with the Parkinson's Foundation in the US. I know that your question was about Europe but they have a very similar program, the Patient Advocates and Research Program and the pharma company that we were just I was just talking about that we're starting from the beginning with them, they're going to be working with us on that as well. So it really is looking at uh, working with people affected by Parkinson's internationally. Great. Thank you very Thank much you. indeed. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the presentation. The 2019 Patients as Partners Europe event will be on January 28th and 29th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Again, that's theconferenceforum.org. Thanks for listening.